Welcome to Let's Jewels for a Minute, the podcast which took a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 masterpiece and is now setting sail into uncharted waters to discover the world beyond Jaws. I'm Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And this week we're here to talk about Sugarland Express, but uh, we are joined by a returning guest. Rob Wallace is here to talk about this film with us. Rob, welcome back. Hi, well, it's great to be back. Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, no Jaws question this week because... You've been on before, so we'll get right into it. Um, so The Sugarland Express is a film from 1974, a uh, year before Jaws. It's uh, Spielberg's first major studio film, um, and it's notable for being the first collaboration between Spielberg and uh, Mr. John Williams. I almost called him Sir John Williams because I feel like he should be a knight even though he's American. Um, the film focuses on a desperate mother's attempts to get her son back uh, after breaking her husband, not her son, her son's not in prison. After breaking her <laughs> husband out of prison, they hijack a police car and uh, kidnap the officer who was driving the car and uh, take them down the road with them in this sort of slow-mo police chase to the foster parents that are taking care of their their young son. Um, Goldie Hawn, Michael Sachs, and William Atherton make up the uh, the main trio here uh in the in the police car um that's kind of it it's not a, it's not a very complex film uh there's not a lot going on uh plot wise besides that so yeah what did you guys think about sugarland express rob uh we can start with you well yeah I and mean, it's um i mean, like jewel which was um you know, I, know that, I think you've talked about that recently. Um, uh, mm -hmm. Spielberg, which was Spielberg's directorial feature, directorial debut. It's um, mm -hmm. it's a it's a chase movie, but it's mm -hmm. uh, got a very different character. Um, yeah, it's essentially like a character study of this couple and their hostage um, as they drive across Texas, pursued by uh, increasing numbers of police officers. And it's yeah, watching it, it made me think a bit of like. Um, I, mean, I think it came out the same year, maybe the year after um, Badlands, which, mm -hmm. you know, is like, you know, couple on the run. I mean, much darker, much bleaker um, than, you know, Terrence Malick movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, this has got like almost a bit more of like a, I don't know, Thelma and Louise vibe. But there's definitely a couple of touches of like Blues Brothers with all the cop cars <laughs> colliding. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean, sorry. No, no, carry on, carry on. I mean, I, one thing I made me appreciate, I didn't. My awareness of Goldie Hawn like really starts in like the eighties, and I hadn't actually appreciated like she won Best Supporting Actress. She won the Oscar in nineteen sixty nine. So like this is five what years after her for? Oscar win. Um, a film called Cactus Flower. I think it was her and Walter Matthau. Uh, yeah, there's two Oscar <laughs> winners, two previous Oscar winners in this as well. Uh, uh, Ben Johnson, who's Captain Tanner, the police, the head of the the police. Uh, he won for Last Picture Show. He's the, the movie theater owner. 
in Last Picture Show, mm-hmm. and he won he won an Oscar a couple years before. So yeah, actually, pretty big get for two pretty big gets for uh, for Spielberg's first time <laughs> behind the camera for a major studio. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the, the film's tagline um, was like the true story of a girl who took on all of Texas and almost won. Like, makes it sound like an exploitation film. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which, like, yeah, it isn't really. Like, I think it, like, it pretty much is this character story. It's, you know, it's got much more of that. I think. I mean, Jewel is really like lean and mean and great, but this is much more like just getting to know these characters, and yeah, yeah I think. I mean. It's got you know William Atherton in it, who's kind of the archetypal '80s asshole. Like <laughs> between between like Ghostbusters and um, uh, Die Hard, uh, yeah. and um, but in this, like he's got a he's got a real vulnerability and a real like he almost um, he always remind there were a couple of moments in it where he almost reminded me of like um, Tim Blake Nelson. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I, I see totally that. see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's like he's just a bit of a like to start off with. He's just a bit of a sap when um when uh when Lou Jean turns up at the prison. He's like he's just repeating like ain't you something, ain't you something. <laughs> and it, yeah, it was a really like it was really interesting to see like a character that you know very much for an established type playing completely against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this this was my first time watching this watching this film uh i mentioned last week that i've got a couple of sort of blind spots um from spielberg i will not have any uh, by the time we finish our podcast series but this was this was one of them no particular reason for avoiding it just not one that i'd i'd gotten around to um feels like one i should have seen because i am such a huge fan of 70s cinema generally um so yeah, I, I I watched it twice in preparation for this, and I I messaged this to MJ actually beforehand. Like the first the first time I watched it, I was like, I don't think I'm gonna have that much to talk about, and uh, was a little <laughs> bit concerned that this would be like a five minute episode. But then I I watched it again today, and I, I sort of skim watched it because I was I was a bit pressed for time, but watched all the sort of major bits. And came away with so much more than than I was expecting, and and we'll we'll unpack that as as we go. But you mentioned it there, uh, uh, Rob, about a, a weird kind of similarity with with Duel. And there's a moment in the Sugarland Express where I feel like Spielberg did it deliberately to sort of toy with us. It's very near the beginning. This obviously is in, implying that people who are watching Sugarland have also watched Duel, but. Uh, when they're no so when they're when they're in the the car with the old couple and they're just driving so so slowly (laughs) and there's this massive like convoy of cars behind them and the cars are getting really like irate and overtaking them and honking and getting angry and stuff then my notes for that bit i was like oh this (laughs) this could have very easily become like duel too if it wasn't this like sweet old couple like driving them along because i mean that's how the trouble starts in duel isn't it where (laughs) the guy like sort of driving slower than he should and and the person behind not really feeling it and overtaking it and then that sort of causes the 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 switch to to flip but i i i kind of liked that i was like maybe that's spielberg having a little nod to his film that came before it but a very Obviously, I feel like this is this is stating the obvious, but a very very different film yeah. 
from Duel. And I actually had no idea what this film was and what it was about until I started watching it. So it mm. kind of took me by surprise a little bit because I think it's going to be one thing and then it ends up another. And it does sort of dance between tones a little bit with sort of the quite lighthearted comedy stuff. There genuinely are some very, very funny moments in this. And you've got the eccentric cast of characters in the background like we get in in Jaws and and Duel as well and then you've also got the we'll we'll get to the ending later but a very somber reflective ending once again that is you know people sort of think of Spielberg as this like schmaltzy Mm -hmm. sentimental guy we've said this on LJ fam many a time in the past and we will probably continue to say it Spielberg had a nasty streak <laughs> like he has a he has a dark side and I feel like you certainly see that in these early films and you do see it here even though it is lighter in tone but yeah to sort of find it, putting Sugarland between between Duel and between Jaws the thing that connects them obviously they go about this in very very different ways is they're all about something in pursuit of mm another thing Jules sort of like really boils that down to just like one guy chasing another guy a sort of cat and mouse thing and Jaws you sort of throw more people into that mix it's looking at different people's motivations for for chasing down the thing and how those things uh, how they sort of create conflict with with people having very different ideas about how to go about something but with one sort of shared goal Sugarland, you have kind of a multifacet to this idea of, of pursuing something because you've got this young couple who are in pursuit of, of their son. They're, they're, that is their aim. They are traveling to go and get their son. So that is what they are trying to do. And then, of course, you've got the police and apparently every single person within a however many mile radius join in this pursuit of them like chasing chasing them down sort of thing but done in a in a way that's very sedate very meandering yeah. it's very slow paced i was quite caught off guard by how slow it was and i had more of an issue with that the first time around than i did the second because sort of was just waiting for it to to get going but like you said rob you realize that it's not that sort of film it's actually more of a character study it's, and I, I like the way Spielberg plays with that idea. I think it almost feels like, a, especially when it's starting off with like the, uh, you know, you've got the John Williams, the, the great harmonica score. It all, mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, sort of the, the colourful cast of characters. It almost feels like an Altman film. Well, yeah. it's funny that you mentioned that <laughs> because this was shot by, uh, I'm going to screw up his name very, very bad. Vilmos Zygmunt, who pre- previously had shot uh, Oh, McCabe and Mrs. Mrs. Miller. And The Long Goodbye. Um, and uh, not an Altman film, but a very like deep character study film, Deliverance. Um, went on to shoot uh, Obsession for De Palma, Close Encounters, Deer Hunter, Heaven's Gate, Blowout, oh, which damn. is incredible. Uh, a little weird blip on his... Uh, filmography, Real Genius, um, <laughs> Witches of Eastwick, Maverick with uh, Mel Gibson, Ghost in the Darkness. Like he's this man had had a storied uh, <laughs> career. I never heard of him, and then I looked mm. him up, and because there's some really neat shots in it. Like I really like the beginning when um, 
she arrives at the the prison and she gets off the bus and it's kind of like looking at her through the grass and then kind of following her into the prison. I thought that looked really, really great. And there's just the way, once again, that Spielberg and and, um, and Vilmos, like, work together to shoot every inch of uh, this car, this police car mm. they're in. You know, there's there's really great angles that they find in the in the cop car there's the really cool one take scene when they first encounter captain tanner and he's like switching sides of the car that he's on while he's talking to them uh i also think like that's almost like the first time that something like that had been done wasn't it mm. because apparently like it's the first film to feature a tracking shot and a 360 degree pan within a car yeah that's right I oh was really that as well yeah mm-hmm whoa and I like, didn't know that. I, I love the, there's the great, the film pretty much opens with like a visual gag with like all mm-hmm. the different road signs with like, it's the 59 and the 90 yeah. and the 36 and it's like <laughs> yeah. Texas this way, that way, every way. And you've got the broken down car at the roadside and then you've got the Continental Trailways bus that drops um, Lou Jean off. And there's so much like visual information in that single shot. It's like yeah. you immediately get this world. Yeah, no, it's great. And actually, it's funny you said Altman. I was going to say it feels like a proto Coen Brothers movie, but also most Coen Brothers movies Whoa. feel like Altman movies. So. Ra- ra- raising Arizona. It's like, yeah, it's, it's yeah, like, it's yeah. like, like Badlands meets Raising Arizona. Like, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And then you have like this weird cast of side characters. Like, the old couple is so great. That lady has one of my favorite lines, and like, it's up there with 24 hours with is like three weeks where she's just like, shit, our car got stole. <laughs> <laughs> That her husband has one of my favorite lines in the whole film as well, which I wrote down because it made me laugh so much. It's when they're on the side of the road, like waiting to get picked up, and she's like, My feet hurt, and just like complaining about having to stand up. And uh, he tells her to like sit on the road, and she's like, Oh, I haven't got anything to sit on, or something like that. And he's like, Sit on your fist and lean back on your thumb. And I cackled, I cackled so much at that. I was like, What a joke. All those weird side characters are great. The The gas station attendant who like they worked in him looking directly at the camera. Uh, I, I assume because he wouldn't stop looking directly at the camera. The news so like, crew okay, that keeps following yeah. them and like keeps yeah. trying to get an interview. Yeah. Uh, I, I also like the guy who's in the um, who's in the who's in the cop car. The uh, the guy who's in um, slide um, patrolman slides car at the point where yeah. like because he's got there's this, there's this exchange. Is your name Buster Daniels? Well, it was before I got married. It's like what? That makes no sense. <laughs> It's like yeah I, I I didn't know there was I didn't know there was gay marriage in like <laughs> in 60s Texas, te- in... in 60s Texas There was not <laughs> I assure you there was not. not No it seems unlikely yeah. The this like cast of eccentrics do you know what? it's something that Spielberg does so well and you that's something that gets lost in later Spielberg like as he becomes bigger and bigger you don't have as many of those kind of really great just natural performances from the people that just happen to be there. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we get a lot of it in Jaws, so it's kind of an obvious comparison. And we talked about it in, in Duel as well, like how much we love the snake lady and the bus driver and just sort of like the random people. But I was doing some reading about it and I, I think that, again, same with Jaws, like most of the sort of smaller roles like the gas station attendant and, and like some of the other minor characters they were all cast locally so a lot of them were non-actors um yeah. 
which kept kept costs down for for one thing. Uh, Spielberg is usually a fairly well, at least in the beginning, is quite smart with it, <laughs> with keeping costs down in this film, so he can use the money on the important things like the stunts and uh, the flashy camera shots and stuff. But yeah, it's you get that sort of authenticity. I think you're creating that very real sense of of this world, this place that we find ourselves in, and I I really love that that opening shot of the 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 sign it did make me laugh because i was like that is the world's most confusing sign yeah. and also it's a it's a little sneaky uh little sneaky spielberg one one take as well it's yeah. yep. uh it's a full i wrote it down minute 34 wow. uh before there is a before there is a cut um we get a much uh kind of flashier version of that the opening of of west side story you know there's that great like one shot mm. opening i mean there's so ugh can't wait <laughs> so far away can't wait till we get to west side story so i can talk about how much i love that but yeah yeah that one's very in been, your face though <laughs> he's been doing this stuff since the beginning he just does it in a way that's really really sneaky and mm-hmm. the what i'm realizing about these early spielbergs is that it's there's flashy stuff in there but you kind of don't realize like how flashy it is i mean like you're saying yeah. about that the first movie to feature a tracking shot front seat to back seat 360 degree pan with dialogue this is this guy's like second feature film and there's you know other sort of films that he made earlier and around the time as well but third right this, yeah something evil so. <laughs> yeah that's the one this, this guy's doing some mad lad stuff like right from the off oh. and I I kind of love that well, I've <laughs> think... always heard that oh go ahead Rob Oh, sorry, I think like, and this is sorry, this is a bit pretentious. Like Alfred Hitchcock said about Steven Spielberg, he's the first one of us who doesn't see the proscenium arch, mm. which means like he's the first one of us who's not taking his cues from theatre. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you really, you really get that in terms of how Spielberg just puts you in the space. Yeah, well, I was gonna say too that it it makes sense too because he's like he's he's part of this group called the Film School Brats, right? Which was like De Palma and Coppola and. Mm. Lucas and Spielberg and Scorsese, like all those guys who changed cinema, Ridley Scott, all those guys who changed cinema in the 70s, they were the first group of directors who went to film school to learn how to make movies. And so they like, yeah, like like you were saying about Hitchcock, they studied movies. Everyone else prior to that studied theater and then translated it to the screen. But these guys studied what screen, like screen art is and then transfer, and then took that and evolved what cinema was at the time, which is why, you know, he's, especially in his early work, he's got this cast of, you know, unknown characters. I assume he very much was like Italian neorealism because that just like Mm. that whole movement just influenced. I mean, it's still Nomadland just won best picture a couple years ago. Like that movie is essentially an Italian neorealist film. Right. Mm. And, uh, (laughs) That that whole non-actors casting locally idea came out of, one, the necessity for it, but also from the Italian neorealist movement. And that that whole thing just, you know, it's the thing that made human drama really explode on screen, right? Like, I call them, it sounds dismissive, but I don't mean that, but like, I call them movies that are just uh, rooms full of people talking. And... <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's, I'm sure that's one of the things they did, they talked about in film school at that time. Cause it was still, 
I mean, it was only, what, 20, 30 years old at that point? Like, it wasn't even history <laughs> at that yeah. point, you know? It, yeah. <laughs> and it happened in their lifetime. And so, uh, yeah, I could see that being a huge... I, well, you can see it being a huge influence on Spielberg in these early days, like casting all the locals in Martha's Vineyard, casting all the Texas locals here. Um, also, this is... It's funny, because I've always heard that it was... This was like, he wanted to make Jaws, or they wanted him to make Jaws, but he had never made uh, a feature film before. And so they had told them, like, hey, go make this film, and then it's essentially your audition piece for Jaws. Kind of like the Wachowskis with Bound and wanting to make mm. The Matrix. Um, but at the same time, it's the first movie to have a 360-degree tracking shot in a car. It's the first movie to feature, a, like, a brand-new-for-the-time Panavision camera. Like, mm -hmm. it's just funny that he's, you know, what, 24, 25, 26 while he's doing this? And uh, they're just like, yeah, go be the go pioneer this shot. Go use this camera for the first <laughs> time, and we'll see if you can make the shark movie after. Mm. Well, yeah, it, it never... It never feels like it's a film he's making just so he can make Jaws, though. Because I yeah. don't think... I think Spielberg loves movies so much that I don't think he would ever not put his whole heart into something. So you you certainly don't... You don't get that impression from the film, but... Ready Player about... One would like a word. Hmm. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about, like, uh, this, genera <laughs> this generation of directors their their influences aren't aren't coming from from stage their influences are coming from cinema they are sitting there and they are watching the 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 hitchcocks and and sort of the the films of that era and studying those films and taking their their inspiration from them and i that's i mean if you're going to take anyone as inspiration take hitchcock right but the, this is why you sort of see so much of hitchcock's influence in in spielberg's films we spoke about it uh, in Duel last week with the the Bernard Herman of it all in the the score for for Duel and we get a a, a sneaky little uh, vertigo uh, dolly zoom yeah. shot in this as well like towards towards the end which is it's certainly not as uh, audaciously used as it is in in Jaws when everyone knows the shot in Jaws you don't need me to tell you the shot in Jaws uh, but in in Sugarland it's it's a lot more subtle but it's it's so clear what what Spielberg is doing and what he's he's influenced by, and I I have a question for you two and interest where you kind of sit on this because it's it's not a genre I am as familiar with. I'm trying to rectify that because I'd kind of just written off an entire genre due to my dislike of one particular actor in that genre, but I get a lot of Western vibes from Sugarland and. Yeah. I don't know the genre well enough to say who Spielberg is is influenced by when it comes to that. I mean, John Ford is the is the name I know in in westerns, but well, this certainly has that you know outlaws on on the run <laughs> kind of vibe that you that you get in a in a lot of westerns, and well, then... it's a very different kind of western. But like, would you guys class it as a western? I guess I is my so. question. I yeah, I mean, I like I'm Ben Johnson, who, like as MJ said earlier, um, plays Tanner. Like, I think he broke into the movie, but he was like he was like um, he broke into the movie business in westerns. Yep. He's in like he was in like mm. Ford Apache. He yep. he did a lot with John Ford. Yep. Uh, he was in Rio Grande. Okay. And yep. like Shane. Shane. He's in Shane. He's in Red River. Uh, 
He's in Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, he's he's in The Wild Bunch. He's in Hang 'em High. He's in Chisholm. Like he is a Western okay, yeah. movie <laughs> legend. Like, yeah, One Eyed Jacks. Yeah, he's in One Eyed Jacks. Like, and and I and and in this, he's like he's clearly a type. He's clearly playing like. He's the figure of authority, but he's also like fundamentally decent. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to kill them. Like he, um, he's got a line being like, "I've been doing this like eighteen years, and I've never had to kill. You know, never killed anyone in that time. That's the mm. way I like to keep it." You um, know, what he reminds me of is I almost to the point where when his first shot of him walking out of that courthouse, I was like, "Oh my god." This guy was the inspiration for the Michael Park Sheriff character from Dusk Till Dawn and ah, uh, that's... Kill Bill. Yeah, I can totally get that. It has to be, I feel like. I don't know. It feels very similar to that type of character. There, there's something about his introduction in the courtroom that weirdly made me think of... I, don't, I still don't quite know why. I still, it made me weirdly think of Kubrick, which made mm. me, of course, think of like Sterling Hayden, who, of course, was mm. um, one, of the, you know, one of the potential... Um, castings for quint mm-hmm. and there is that there is that mm. that commonality in the idea of like the different like again yeah archetypes populating the um populating the spielberg film um because yeah he, he's very much he's very much of that type and i'm, I'm trying to think of a, a like a coherent articulate thing to say now um <laughs> But yeah, in terms of Western, like, you know, it's obviously being Texas, them co- yeah. traveling across the, like, the rugged Texas countryside. And, you know, obviously, like, you know, there are precedents in terms of if this was a Western, it would be like a, a cattle drive. They'd ha- be having to drive cattle across mm-hmm. a certain, across a certain distance. And they would be under, uh, under attack by, like, either, like, bandits or, more problematically, probably Native Americans. Um, and there's, yeah, there's definitely that element to it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a Western in the way that, like, most Coen Brothers movies were Westerns until, uh, (laughs) until True Grit came out and they made an actual Western, you know? Like, Blood Simple's a Western, freaking Raising Arizona's a Western, uh, No Country for Old Men. Fargo's a Western, No Country for Old Men's a Western. Like, they, they just kept making Westerns and then they finally made an actual one. Uh, Well, like, we have Westerns and gangster movies. I mean, like, those are the core staples of Golden Age Hollywood as, like... Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and so, yeah, so you could totally see the film school all over Spielberg in this, right? Of, like, what if we made a Western that's inspired by Italian neorealism? Yeah. I Which... totally, that's the most film school kid idea ever. <laughs> Bless his little heart. <laughs> I mean, that's because fundamentally, like, a lot of the narratives are, they're quite simple. They've got, mm-hmm. a, they've got a strong drive behind it. They do have these genre elements but they're oh, like, yeah. but they're more interested in the characters, etc. I mean, not to say that you know genre films, you know, this, that's not a slight against genre films, but they kind of obfuscate that in a way that I'm not saying is deliberate. But yeah, there's clearly that all of that is feeding into the influences behind this film. Yeah, well, and French New Wave too, right? Because there's definitely some Bonnie and Clyde in this movie. Yes, and 100%. Uh, wasn't it Jean Luc Godard was originally supposed to direct? Direct Bonnie and Clyde, yeah, and yeah. And they loved, and the French um, loved Hitchcock. Yeah. Before, mm-hmm. like, before he, like, had critical acceptance in the US, or, you know, 
like they they adored him. Like he was written about in Kahida Cinema loads. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then there's the the interview, right? The Hitchcock. Good is it Hitchcock and Godard or? It's Truffaut, I think. Truffaut, yeah, Hitchcock yeah. Truffaut. And of course, Truffaut yeah. is in. Oh, he's uh, uh he's in um. Uh, Close Encounters. Yeah, yeah, he's in Close Encounters. Yeah. <laughs> Good lord. We did it, guys. I danced we around every film. other Spielberg movie from around that time. Like, it was all, the name of everything he made except Close Encounters came to me. I didn't realize there was going to be a film quiz on this episode. I should have brushed <laughs> up on that. But this, I, I, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, why did I even question whether this film is a, a Western or not? I, I think it's just because I have not seen uh, as many Westerns uh, as a lot of other people have. Mm-hmm. Again, trying to rectify that, uh, open to recommendations of good ones to watch. Yeah, um, I mean, no, but... I, I assume that the actor in question is the one I share a birthday with. Um... Uh, John Wayne? Yeah, yep. <laughs> yes. I, I had this like big realization because I've always been like, I don't like Westerns. And then I watched um, Butch Cassidy and oh, I loved it. Great. So <laughs> yeah. I that was Martin being like, This has got two of your boys in it, you're gonna love it, <laughs> I promise. And making me watch it and I was like, You were right. Uh, oh, <laughs> I yeah. think it's just John Wayne Westerns I don't I don't like. But yeah. the a, another sort of staple, I guess, of of the Westerns is is the protagonists are very often on the, the wrong side of the law but we kind of mm-hmm. like them anyway i mean these these two characters they're not the mo- they're not the most likable of 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 characters yeah. we see them not only do some kind of bad stuff along the way but it's like you know he's busted out of of, of prison or, or pre-release at, at the beginning and she has only very recently been released from prison as well they're sort of petty criminals i i think yeah. sort of breaking and entering and all those sort of things like never killed anyone you know (laughs) but it's still you know they're they're on the wrong side of the law if you will but we we are aligned with them quite quickly because we we feel her her plight in that she wants to to get her son back and all the credit to goldie horn for just absolutely selling that i mean this movie so good by her performance Mm. and she is extraordinary in in this i love her anyway just because she is married to one of my other boys kurt russell but I, and because she's a great actress in her own right, obviously. Well, speaking but... of one of your boys in a western, have you seen Tombstone? Uh, yes. Okay. I have. Okay. Yes. Good. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. I'm slowly. I'm slowly finding the ones that I do like. But yeah, yeah I mean, I can. I I can class this one now. It's just a very different, a different kind of yeah. kind of western. But it certainly has those. It has those vibes. But yeah, these these characters are being able to to like characters that aren't super likable i mean we we get it in jaws right with with quint i mean a lot of what quint does he's not the nicest of of guys he's quite arrogant he says some things that are very inappropriate but boy do we love him anyway and you sort of get that with with these characters as well and it makes the the ending obviously hit that that much harder but it also just creates for for an interesting film i i think with you you have these moments of being like oh you know they they don't deserve to to get their son but then also 
you feel sorry for her. You see the emotion, particularly in in Lou Jean, uh, Goldie Hawn's character, mm-hmm. right from the off. She is <laughs> she is mm. clearly distressed about about what has happened, and it sounds like pretty fresh as well. Like it's just yeah. happened, so she is then like on a bus. Let me go and get my husband. Let's go and sort this out, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, guys, have any thoughts on on sort of the characters and and the way they're they're portrayed in this? Yeah, well, like. Oh. Go ahead, Sorry, well, like, the thing is, they're so out of their depth. I mean, MJ, you were saying a little while ago about Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, he's just... He breaks out of pre-release. Yeah. Like, they're, they're <laughs> letting him go. He's got a couple of months. And, like, there's literally the line, somebody <laughs> says, nobody breaks out of pre-release, that's just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact it is such a harebrained scheme, and they do really, like... But it, the whole thing is so ill-advised. I mean, she keeps... When they pull over to the at the gas station, she's buying those long strips of like the Texas gold stamps, which is like mm. it was like a precursor to a, a like one of the like a loyalty program. Yep. And they keep like mm-hmm. like doing weird shit, and like just <laughs> making bad decisions. I mean, that said, there's there's the wonderful scene where they break into the RV and they're watching Wiley Coyote without the sound. They're watching Roadrunner, mm-hmm. and um, Clovis is pr- doing all the sound effects for it. Yep. And that's like, I, I need to check to make sure you guys probably know far better than I do. Um, but like, it feels narratively that's almost at the same point as the um, the uh, showing each other scars kind of in Jaws. Oh yeah. Like that's that's mm-hmm. serving the same purpose. That's like we need a big character beat here. Yeah. Before we get into like the final act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it definitely yeah, I mean, like, is. I mean, I absolutely love that. And like, you know, you've got you've got him doing the sound effects, and she's laughing. And like, when but when the dynamite goes off, you don't get the reflection on the glasses you have in the other shots. It actually cuts to the explosion going off. And you've just got like, and like Goldie Hawn is brilliant, but like, I think Atherton in this, especially towards the end, he really conveys the fact that he knows they're doomed. Like, he, mm-hmm. he, he realises, because you've got that weird shot in the RV with the long lenses where it's tracking in on one and then the other and she's in the blue light and he's at the front of the RV with, like, the sippy of the cup and they're, like, they're laughing and it's this real surreal horror. Yeah. Because, like, and, like, they realise that at this point, kind of, it's not going to happen. Or at least he does. And the fact that, like, yeah, what do you do when you're running, like, what, like, what, like you know, road run and you've gone off the cliff and you're in the air... And you know that you're in the air, and at some point you're going to have to look down. But when you look down, you're going to fall. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's my favorite scene of, in the movie. He kind of foreshadows his own fate a little bit. This I only noticed the second time around. I'm not that smart the first time around, I promise. But the where their car kind of ends up, they don't go over a cliff, but they sort of end up in like a ravine thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then behind mm. them, you can sort of see... Uh, a cliff and then i was like oh it's <laughs> it's like that bidding the bit in in the cartoon because yeah. his face does suddenly mm-hmm. change very very quickly from being like i'm having fun and i'm doing the sound effects and we're having a good time to then like seeing the character go over the the cliff to sort of certain doom and realizing that that's what's going to happen certainly to him possibly to them well it's a uh, it's masterful. Like the way Spielberg just balances tone. I mean, no one does it. Like no one does yeah. it like Spielberg. I mean, Thelma like and Louise, you know, Ridley Scott, who, like, you know, ends with them literally going off a cliff. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it's funny because um, 
I was reading about the reception of the film on the Wikipedia page, and I was reading Ebert's criticism, which I actually kind of agree with. I don't love this movie. I think it's good. It's fine. I don't have any problems with it, really. But, well, I do. It's this one. Um, <laughs> so he says, if the movie doesn't succeed, it's because he gave it two and a half stars. He says, if the movie doesn't succeed, it's because Spielberg paid too much attention to all the police cars and all the crashes they get into and not enough on the personalities of his characters. We get to know these people just enough to want to know them better. And I super duper agree with that. Like, Mm. I like these characters, but I feel like by the end, like, they're so single focused, that singularly focused that I don't really know who they are. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, like, I feel for them in that it is sad that he dies when he's trying to do this but at the same time he's committing a crime in texas so like i don't know what you expect you kidnapped a police officer i don't know what you expect the consequences to be which leads into siskel's criticism of it which i don't necessarily agree with he also gave it two and a half stars and said whereas bonnie and clyde prompted our sympathy for its heroes because of their winning style sugarland express asks us to care for clovis and lugene because they are thick-skulled and because presumably every mother has an inherent right to raise her own baby, it doesn't work. But I don't think that the movie's on Lou Jean and Clovis's no. side at it's, all. It's not no. like, <laughs> if they end up with the baby, that's not a good outcome. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it should, it, I think the movie goes out of its way to be like, no, these are criminals. Like, they do crimes <laughs> a lot, right? Like, mm-hmm. and... To the point where, if anything, like, the... Because the, some of the other people were talking about how, like, oh, it portrays them as innocents, which is crazy. To, that is, you fundamentally misread the film at that point, I think. <laughs> if anything, the closest it comes to that is that they become victims of their own celebrity. Mm. Sure. Yeah, because you've, you've got the vigilantes who are going after them. And, like, you know, and you've got, like, the like the registered communists, not firearms, bumper sticker. They're yeah. a bit like the shark hunters <laughs> at the start of Jaws. Yeah, like Very especially enough. the guy in the yeah. plaid hat. He's like he's he's definitely got like a Ben Gardner vibe to him. Well, Elmer <laughs> Fudd, right? Looney Tunes. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's, I, I mean, that is a, a fundamental misreading of the film. I think if if you think that these guys are the the heroes, like they are not meant to be. Like, yes, they are the the protagonists. But that's what I was saying, you know, we they do unlikable things they're not particularly likable people but we are spending the film with them so you are sort of aligned with with their their plight and their struggle and there are moments that you feel sorry for them but there's also moments where you're like no they've done like (laughs) they're holding this guy hostage basically it's just put across with the quite light-hearted tone i could see why people would would misread it but this this brings me to wanting to talk about a particular scene that I think ties into into what we're talking about here. And this just completely did not register for me at all the first time I watched it. And then the second time watching it today, it just hit me like an absolute ton of bricks, like how much significance there was in this moment. So uh, bear with me. But the the it's when they're driving, it's quite close to the end, they're driving for a town and they get greeted like they've just won the freaking super bowl or something there's like crowds of people uh they're being they're being celebrated they're having pigs and got uh, teddy bears and god knows what like pass through through the windows of the of the car to them they're sort of being treated like celebrities like like you said mj prior to that there's some guys on the side who are sort of being held hands against the wall on the side 
of the of the road and they're having their guns taken off them they're sort of police there or law enforcement there who are sort of shaking down people so in the same street you've got crowd you've got adoring crowds who are thrusting teddy bears through the window and then you've got guys who are there like with their weapons and this is implied it's not sort of said outright but they are there with their weapons potentially to try and to try and take them out and i'm like if there is one scene to sort of represent like (laughs) the the duality of what the what the people the other people in this film are sort of thinking and feeling about these characters then it's 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 this it's there are those people who are like no it's just a mother fighting for her child like she wants to she should be able to go and get him and we're going to help them along their way and then you've got these other people who are like nope uh they've done a bad thing take them down sort of thing i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that but i thought it was an interesting an interesting thing to to consider this idea of a a division i guess in 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 the country i mean this is very obviously set in in america but different reactions to this situation this this can be something that that happens when someone has has done something wrong but you know were their intentions good is their ultimate aim good and sort of some people fall on on different sides of that and and criminals can be sort of held up like celebrities sometime i mean it's why everyone loves (laughs) true crime documentaries and podcasts and stuff like it sells this sort of thing Mm. sells and, and people suddenly become very very invested in these stories particularly when it's you know the the sort of the every the every person just trying to you know get their kid back if you if you look at the sort of very simplistic yeah. side of the story well like spielberg himself i think said like he thinks the film was ahead of its time in terms of commenting on how criminals become folk heroes yeah and he actually he talks sure. to, he references um the um billy wilder's ace in the hole in terms of the sensationalism the idea of this thing becoming a carnival mm-hmm. and there's almost like um not to get political a trumpian quality to it Especially yeah. in how, like, Lou Jean responds to it. Like, I want to see the people, and I bet you $10 the people want to see us. And, like, we're going to, you know... <laughs> and she's in denial, and Clovis keeps on, like, giving her little looks because she's clearly in denial. And there's this weird psychodrama to it. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's... um, And also, I mean, there's the great line that I think Tanner has, which, again, made me think immediately of Jaws. If he tells you it's the 4th of July, you advise him otherwise. <laughs> So yeah, it's about it's like shit going on the fourth, shit going down on the fourth of July. Yeah. Um. <laughs> no, Again. I, I agree because like um, this is a more recent comparison, and I'm gonna avoid spoilers because I know not everyone has seen it. Sarah, I know for a fact you haven't seen it. Um, uh, <laughs> so although you have, because it's just Jaws, it's just Jaws. Uh, so in Nope, the main nope. characters. Yes. Yeah. I knew you were gonna say Nope. <laughs> yeah, because it's Jaws. It's Sky Jaws. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to the point where I texted Sarah some of the major beats from Nope because they can't be spoilers if you've done a minute-by-minute minute pro- uh, uh, breakdown of Jaws. And she was like, oh my god, it's Jaws. This movie is Jaws. Like, <laughs> from just hearing, like, three major beats from the film. Um, anyway. Well, uh, the, the bunting. The, bun- the bunting is the barrels. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> A hundred percent. It's the same movie. It's the same movie. But the main character's <laughs> name is OJ. And the film's major theme is about... One of the film's major themes. There's a lot on its mind. Much like Jaws. Uh, one of the film's major <laughs> themes is exploitation. 
And I don't think you would find a single person, maybe on the planet, who doesn't think that O.J. Simpson didn't kill his wife and her lover. Uh, At the same time, that was a circus. Um, Mm. I don't know if it was as big of a deal in the U.K., but here it was ridiculous. Like, Oh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely... It's one of the first major news stories I think a lot of millennials can remember. Um, well, like it's the, the, freeway, the freeway chase. Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And also the first creature that gets abducted in Nope is a white Bronco. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, anyway, um, so yeah, there's the Bronco chase, which, like, it, that was the whole thing, and then like it became the subject of every like late night host monologue, and uh, you know, um, watching the verdict was like a big deal. I remember watching the verdict with my parents. Like that was a circus because he was previously famous, right? He was in movies. Sure. He was this you know super great football player, Heisman Trophy winner, etc. But at the same time, like. Uh, it's kind of messed up that we did that actually. And not just because like, it's weird to be like, okay, this guy was definitely a criminal. Like all evidence pointed to him being guilty from the majority of people's perspectives. But at the same time, uh, like it shouldn't have gone down in the media the way it did. Right. Like it, it became this drama that everyone focused on each day. And it's like, well, a man took some people's lives and some people died. Like, th- that's mm. that's really gross. And, like, we just did the same thing with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. No matter where you land on that situation, it was all sorts of screwed up the way we responded to it on the internet. Like, it was yeah. gross <laughs> all the way around. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we haven't learned anything from it. But this is, like, this is almost like calling the shot from it. Because Bonnie and Clyde, like... They're folk heroes. They had that. But by the time Bonnie and Clyde, the movie comes around, we're 30 years removed from it. So it feels like recent, or it feels like history at that point, right? We're 22 years removed from 9-11 and it feels like history at that point. But, uh, well, like this happened five years before the film got released. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, yeah, this, this happened, like, I think the same year that Goldie Hawn won her Oscar. Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely, like, a, um, in terms of, like, cinematically, there's definitely, like, a, an evolution or, like, a, a, a chain, something you can track from, like, you know, Bonnie and Clyde and Sugarland Express all the way through to, and in terms of you talking about the exploitative elements and really exploring that and the violence and the nastiness, like, um, Natural Born Killers. Mm-hmm. Also largely set in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and there's this, it's this odd, like, juxtaposition of how Texas be, right? Where it's like, you have the people who are like, just obey the law and, like, take the law into our own hands and, like, punish crime at any point. And then there's, like, the idea of, like, you're free to do whatever you want. Like, families should be together. Uh, you know, go get your baby and all that. So it's, it's like, you can, I could definitely see. I haven't spent a lot of time in Texas, but... Uh, the industry I used to work in had a lot of crossover with people from Texas, and that's definitely like depending on the day, the 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 guys who were the vigilantes could have just as easily been handing them baby pigs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This this film really captures 
that idea of you know the the sort of the celebrity of of crime and and this this scene that we're we're talking about sort of does it it does it really really well but what is so uh, one of the things i find fascinating about lugene as a as a character is how concerned she is about how she appears like she is the narrative of of you know obviously we're watching this this play out in the film and it's very sort of loosely based on a on a on a real story but she throughout the film is so bothered about how she appears she gets visibly upset when they're talking about her on on the radio because she thinks they're making it sound like she's she's an unfit mother and then there's the great bit when she sort of sends a lady into into the store to get her some some rollers and some lipstick and stuff she wants to to look nice <laughs> for the for the cameras when she goes to to get her baby but that uh, you know if this was if the only thing to her character was she just wants her she just wants to get her baby back she wouldn't be doing all of those things mm. she is understanding i guess of this whole circus that's being created around them and it, and it really is a circus they 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 super play it for laughs like by the end as well when this like convoy of of cars is so ridiculously long there's like the two kids counting and it goes into the hundreds or something doesn't it like it's it's silly by that point but she is constantly thinking about how how she looks to people i mean she's she's an influencer she's uh she's a content creator yeah Yeah. and that's (laughs) yeah she kind of is what's the thing like if you chart it back to the 60s like you know the vietnam vietnam being the first um broadcast war that like this being the first point where like you would be able to realistically follow a uh, a pursuit you know in real time and mm-hmm. i think the real in the real life case it only lasted like it was done in a couple of hours this takes place a over hours, a, yeah. a, over over a few days but yeah that's mm. the idea it's the idea that you can be seen and you can be broadcast and your life can be experienced by people who are out there in the ether like you know unknown millions mm. And, like, mm. the fact that all of this, like, it doesn't get less relevant. It, like, increasingly... Yeah. And, yeah, there's, the, again, there's this, this this weird psychodrama to it. Yeah, and it feels it's... kind of inspired yeah. by a face in the crowd a little bit. Not as extreme. Yes. But definitely about how, like, just a... Just, you know, like, that movie's about how, like, just a guy can have outsized influence on the culture at large. And this feels the same way. Like, there's nothing particularly remarkable about Clovis and Lou Jean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they... It, it, their story sort of becomes legend. And, and there's a reason why the the numbers following them increases over time. I mean, it is really showing that no one was following them in the beginning. It's just, like, the the one sort of patrol car or something and then even other officers when they sort of like hear about it go oh let's 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 get in let's get in on that kind of thing and it creates this this big circus around it and i mean it's it's creating a a a link with jaws because obviously i mean we are talking about these other films films but we're looking at them with jaws obviously very much in our minds as it always is but this there's a similarity between Sugarland and between Jaws with the the law enforcement. Uh, obviously, in Jaws, that's that's Brody, and in this, it's a, a whole bunch of guys, but um, a, sort of a, a key couple of figures. They're getting caught up in this in this circus. It's it's hampering their in their not investigation, but it's hampering their pursuit at times because these these news vans are getting in the way, and they're, they're sort of this creating this whole long 
you know caravan of, of cars all going after them this idea of, of law enforcement sort of dealing with with the media getting in their way general public getting in the way i mean we see that in in jaws again so there's there's that kind of similarity there but the i i I love a lot of the moments in this with the media i think the bit that made me laugh the most is when they go to interview the baby Mm. i really cackled possibly more than i should have done it's like uh 40 49 minutes or so into the film i think and they go to like the foster home and they're like baby langston like like, you know what can you remember about your father what do you like it's like he's a child he's an infant what the fuck have, yeah. yeah, they're like, have you got a comment? Have you got a comment about your about your about your father? What do you think of him? And it's like, I mean, this baby is quite eloquent. Uh, it came up in my subtitles when he's having a little conversation with the doggo, which is very cute. Uh, that scene is weird. That so... scene is shot kind of like a horror movie with him him with the yeah. dog. It was the, <laughs> like the way they angled the camera and the lens they used in that scene was real strange to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, even uh, yeah, as eloquent as he is in 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 that moment with the with the doggy, he's not he's not at the age to do an interview. And it's, yeah, it's funny that they it's funny that they would I, even try. Well, I and... think it's it's one of those things, right, where he just doesn't like Spielberg just doesn't trust the media at that point. I mean, even now, like he's he doesn't do a lot of press. It seems like like there's there's a mm. it's hard to find really like long form interviews with Spielberg. You can see like. Sometimes he'll do, like, panels with other filmmakers or other actors or something, but he very rarely, like... I mean, I don't know how he is as an interview subject. Uh, I haven't heard either way, because, like, De Niro's notoriously difficult, right? But mm. it it just seems like... I don't know. Almost every interview I see with him feels very surface level. Um, I don't know if that's by design on his end or or what, but... It, it just, I don't know, it feels like, it could also just be a lot of media when they are like, okay, we're you're going to interview Steven Spielberg. And it's like, well, this is the guy who made me do what I do. Like, it, everyone turns into that Chris Farley, like, remember when you were in the hmm. Beatles, that was cool <laughs> uh, sketch. Like, I don't know if it's that, but I think it's very rare that I hear Spielberg really talk long form or in depth about stuff. So I don't think he likes the media. Mm. Like I, I know we've talked about how much he he doesn't like the government. I don't think he likes the media very much either. I think all you know, <laughs> the 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 thing is too like, and we've talked about this uh, idea of the reason he doesn't like the government is because a lot of his relatives in his lifetime kind of uh, died at the hands of a of a government that was running amok, mm. and uh, you know I think the the uh, the he sees the media as sort of another division of that. Um, and I think you could almost argue, like, I don't want to psychoanalyze Spielberg, but uh, I guess I'm going to a little bit. Like, for better or for worse, I mean, definitely for worse, but he, that, that uh, World War II and, you know, Nazism, one of the most important wings of that was the propaganda department. And so you could almost say that he, it feels like he got into movie making in order to sort of combat that a little bit. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> stunned me into silence there. I've not really thought about it in in that way before, but it it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we obviously certainly don't see uh, in in Jaws the 
authority figures or the government uh, sort of represented in in Larry. We don't see them come off <laughs> come off very well. No, the cops uh, in this in are the... all right. Like it's 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 not yeah terrible. <laughs> like the way like the way it is in Jaws. Like Jaws is pissed off. Yeah, yeah I think there's it's a it's a mixed bag in this though, mm-hmm. as as it is with the. Lugene and, and Clovis as well. There's like good and and bad yeah. aspects. I mean, the there are the sort of pretty ruthless. Like I don't know if they're the police, but the guys who are sort of like like the snipers, basically just hired. To, yeah, the the yeah. sniper guys. I think I don't know if they're just like hired <laughs> hired heavies or whatever. But this idea that some are just and you see these two officers as well who are just like yeah, let's just let's get involved in that. And they're they're not really. <laughs> fully aware of what's going on they just show up with their guns to to kind of getting get involved but it doesn't really get into the nitty-gritty of of it as much as it it does in jaws but i think it's because there's a lot of it's a lot of characters a lot of things happening in this film even though it does really focus on the the sort of the main three and a couple of the other key officers but yeah it doesn't dissect it as much as he does in other films. Well, I guess, like, you know, how do you make, a, like, a Western in the era of mass communication? Because if you look at, like, the cops as being, like, the posse and all the people that turn up being the town folk, it's just happening, like, on a much larger scale in terms mm-hmm. of, and you're talking about, like, the endless procession of the cop cars going past. And you've got the, uh, like, and it's it's dusk and you've got the um those folks up on the hill who are, like, you know, counting them and counting them and waving at mm. them. <laughs> and... Yeah, I mean, like, fundamentally, I think part of the commentary, part of the, like, innate commentary is that, like, people fundamentally don't change. It's just their beh- their behavior changes as this, as technology, etc. evolves. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, you know, because you, yeah, you could not do this film as a Western because I think there's only so far you can get on horseback, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. Um. And it, yeah, sorry, talking about back. It, it ends with, you know, Clovis gets shot in the back by the snipers when he is, I believe, at that point unarmed. And the scene where, like, Jean Lou is kind of forcing him out of the car, where, like, and mm. they know that the baby's not there. And it's like, you know, um, you know, he ain't in there. There's no way in the world I'm going up that path. And it's like, it, it becomes, like, it's kind of a tragic comedy in that regard. Yeah, well, and he's proved he's kind of savvy about that kind of stuff too, right? Where he susses out the cop in the porta potty. Well, uh, he ain't no mental case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a great line. The mental subject line. Isn't the, it? the mental subject, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and later on, he's like, and later on, like the chat they have through the bathroom door, he has with yeah. the trauma. He's like, "You ain't no son of a bitch, and you ain't no mental subject neither." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then he's talking yeah, about that's... how he wants to become a cop, and he's like, "I don't think you could do that, man." Like, <laughs> I think I think it's in the state law. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is like I I do like that there. I think particularly with Clovis, we do get quite a bit of of character development because he does start as this. It's quite. He, just don't think there's much to him. I'm just trying to think of the mm. the, the nicest way to say mm-hmm. it. But like that sort of first interaction with with Lugene and everything, and it doesn't seem like the smartest of guys, but he does have moments. You know that 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 moment with the when they they bring the the, the toilet. Uh, great 
physical acting from Goldie Horn in the background who is just <laughs> doubled over like I gotta pee and I gotta pee right now uh, but he is sussed out that, that there is someone in there and he's pretty adamant that, that there is and knowing as well like approaching the, the foster home at the end like knowing the the baby isn't there like he does seem to have this this intuition and that moment we spoke about as well where they're watching the cartoon even though it's that you could sort of see it as as foreshadowing he much more than Lu Jean, i think is grasping the reality of the situation she is kind of in her own little world and i think that's brings it back to what i was saying about you know her really keeping up appearances through through the whole film like this is this is a film in her head as well i think like she is writing yeah. this narrative <clears throat> like she thinks if she gets there and gets her baby like they are going to make films about this and you know guess what they and, they, and they'll let them but, go and the police will let them yeah, go and the charges will be dropped i mean like she almost like she we're going to settle down just like real folks mm-hmm. mm. yeah she's got this very naive worldview i, mm-hmm. I think where it's like she sees no other option than them getting there successfully them finding the place she's got it all worked out she's written down the instructions she knows exactly what she's doing she's gonna get a baby they're gonna live happily ever after after that and clovis is not on the same the same page i think he is going going along along for the ride for a lot of the time but also is yeah just a a bit more a little more perceptive, a little more yeah. aware of the the severity of their situation. Well, there's the scene, you know, when when he's still in the still in the kind of like the open prison. It kind of is mm-hmm. where mm. like he follows her <laughs> into the toilet, and you know they're making out, and he's unbuttoning her clothes, only to realise that she's wearing his clothes underneath her clothes. Yeah, <laughs> and she kind of like emotionally blackmails him into going with her, and like. Yeah, like, it's one of those, she's kind of in Cloud Cuckoo Land, but you get it, because she can't deal with the prospect of losing, of losing Langston. Like, you know, she's been to prison, and, like, they took her baby from her, she went to prison, she and Clovis were split up, and, like, you know, they were knocking over, like, I think they were, like, knocking over, like, what, like, restroom, like, restrooms for change, like, you know, like, um, change machines, Mm-hmm. And like it's really low end petty stuff. Nobody's doing that because it's an easy way to make a living. Like, if you're doing that, you're doing that because you don't really feel you've got any other option. And you know they are they are kind of presented as being like you know these these petty criminals and figures of fun, but they are genuinely like you know there are two people who've you know presumably grown up and lived in poverty, and they've they've lost their kid, and they've been sent to different prisons. And she just wants the kid back and she knows the window is closing and she is in a state of denial and she's not processing it. And she's just, you know, kind of forced him to leave prison with four months left to go. And he knows that, you know, and he, you know, he knows that if he gets sent back, he's going to get sent back for a while. But he's kind of focusing on the task at hand and they're both making bad decisions. I mean, there's a scene where she gets some, she gets the patrolman to, to pick her up. And it's really calculating because she, like, she, you know, she's she's injured. She's just crashed the car into the tree, and she gets Patrolman Slide to pick her up so that she can grab his gun and throw it to Clovis. And there's a combination of like really like quite canny, you know, momentary pragmatism versus just the fact this whole thing is so harebrained, 
and you know and mm. they've got they've got the patrolman at gunpoint for loads of the film and sometimes it's Clovis who's trying, driving wearing the patrolman's hat and sunglasses and there's the um there's the wonderful bit that they've got where um where um they're being interviewed like in the reporters they catch up and they got the boom mic sticking out the side of the van and and uh, slides like I've practically got him rehabilitated I wouldn't go that yeah. far I'm just I feel I'm just being reasonable <laughs> just it's like the dialogue in this I think is really underrated the dialogue in this yeah. is like is so funny and so like well observed and so just. And, and like and characterful without ever feeling artificial. And like the film screenplay was by Hal Barwood, who and Matthew um, Yeah, like Hal Barwood, who did who was like who was uh, did a I think a rewrite. He was an uncredited writer on um, uh, Jaws and Close Encounters. Yep. He was also involved in THX THX one one three eight. Um, yep. And yeah, and mm-hmm. Matthew Robbins, who of course yeah Jaws. He's done a bunch of stuff with. Uh, Glenbo del Toro. He was, you know, he wrote. Um, we he collaborated on um, Crimson Peak and Pinocchio. He also really intriguingly in the early 2010s, by what I can see, did a bunch of like Hindi Hindi language, like Bollywood stuff, which is like <laughs> nice, very very cool. Like uh, yeah, way to um, way to diversify your uh, your filmography. Yep, he also looks like the whitest <laughs> man who's ever lived. So. <laughs> oh, really he funny. also he also apparently um the um Sugarland Express won the best screenplay award at Cannes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, um Hal Barward Hal Barward also went on to write a bunch of uh Lucasfilm games. Mm. Yep, video games. He's, a little connection. Yep. Yep, he wrote uh yeah. like every Indiana Jones game it looks like. Oh, nice. Yep, except the new one. Yeah, it's quite um it's quite farcical in places, and I don't. I wasn't expecting that because everyone talks about 1941 being like Spielberg's comedy, and we'll we'll see when we get to that because I have never seen Same. it. Same. Um, but this was funnier than I than I thought it was going to be. I like I said, I had no idea what sort of film it, it was going to be, but it does have a lot of kind of really great laugh out loud moments, and I. I it doesn't always work for me yeah. the the sort of the, the the tonal shifts i think that i really 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 like the ending and and i guess we'll 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 talk about that soon but it does it takes a very sudden it does take quite a sudden turn it it feels like an inevitability like you you watch this film and you're like i surely there's only one way this this can end and you're sort of foreseeing the the doom as well as 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 clovis does right but along the way it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty fun time like there's a lot of great like one-liners and just great sort of snappy dialogue and farcical you know quite silly moments as well that that work at the time and then the ending really works but the two things don't always like super mesh that well together um yeah yeah i uh i agree it's it's um like i said it's not a bad film at all and if you're interested in the spielberg like history of it all i think you should watch it but goldie Hawn's really good in it william atherton's really good in it um you know, you get to hear the first John Williams Spielberg collaboration, which has a lot of Western motifs in it. Um, mm. And uh, Verna Fields uh, co-edited mm-hmm. it, 
so there's definitely a lot of um, sort of Spielberg history tied up in this film. Um, mm-hmm. That said, it's like fine. Like it's it's like I said, I can't have I can't say anything terrible about it. But it's like it's not going to be my first choice, and not going to be a Spielberg I revisit a lot. <laughs> Well, like mm-hmm. looking at like looking at Pauline Kael's review of it now, like he said, she says, you know, even at this early point that he could be the new generation's Howard Hawks, mm-hmm. which <laughs> yeah, which I think you know, is, is is fair. Like you know, in terms of his depiction of you know, these quite unassuming characters, um, uh, she also says that you know. In terms of the pleasure this, that technical insurance, sorry, in terms of the pleasure that technical assurance gives an audience, this is one of the most phenomenal debut films in the history of movies. Which I think, in yeah. terms of what it paved the way for, is probably quite difficult to argue with. Yeah, I mean, she was yeah. she was ahead of the curve on that one. It's like, yeah, this you know this this, this <laughs> young this young twenty five year old guy, Steven Spielberg. I wonder what he's going to do. Yeah, I think... Yeah, he's really, really going places. I like what she says, <laughs> that he could be that rarity among directors, a born entertainer. Uh, and then a year later, Jaws comes mm. out, like, she definitely Babe Ruth this shit. <laughs> like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this is very... This and Duel are very indicative of where Spielberg would go. And it... Spielberg's trajectory happens like so quickly I mean obviously we're very very biased here but like Jaws is his greatest film and it's Mm -hmm. you know a year after this like he he made his masterpiece like that early on a lot of his other subsequent films there are a lot of people's favorite films basically (laughs) people really love this guy's films he's he makes a makes a cracking film that's yeah if your best movie is Jaws and you also made Raiders of the Lost Ark E.T. and Jurassic Park uh, that's saying something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's doing all right for himself, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't go to bed worried about uh, worried about Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, wonder, I don't know. Steven, yeah. I want Steven. I wonder how he's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's like yeah. nowadays, there's this weird backlash against him from dipshits who like. Like, I saw someone on Twitter, like, someone did a tweet criticizing Thor Love and Thunder, which I still haven't seen, Um, but it it frustrated me because they did this this tweet criticizing it, and someone responded, and they were like, whatever, go jerk off to a Spielberg movie, you, like, you pretentious asshole or whatever, and I was like, when did Spielberg get pretentious? Like, why is he, like... (laughs) Like, what are we talking about? Like, how is he the guy who's like, oh, he makes art house films? Like, especially because his last movie was a remake of arguably the most popular mu- movie musical And before ever that, his made. film was Ready Player One. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm... this man is not making arty... Well, you know, there is art in his films, yeah. but he, he makes a crowd please of, of yeah. films. His most, most collaborated with performer tape. is Tom Hanks. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, you don't get... And that's the thing, like... And that's a big thing. That's obviously a big thing in Sugarland Express, the idea of populism. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at, you know, The Fablemans, which is his, mm-hmm. his upcoming, like, kind of semi-autobiographical... Uh, you know, it's playing yeah. TIFF. Um, I'm really hoping it plays the London Film Festival because my, my, I've had my press accreditation for that confirmed. <clears throat> so I'll definitely be nice. in attendance there. Um, yeah, just, just, you know, looking at this, you know, 
Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, Seth Rogen. It's Seth like, Rogen, David Lynch, ju- like yeah, ju- I, I, Julia Butters, <laughs> Julia Butters, who's yeah. one of those who's like you know mm. one of those like oh please please be you know not that we need a new not that Jodie Foster's gone anywhere but please be new Jodie Foster. Oh yeah, please be like in the ne- <laughs> no, no, ne- next Jodie Foster. Please yeah, be the subsequent Jodie Foster. Yeah. And yeah, David Lynch playing and God, my God, it all goes full circle, doesn't it? John jo- David Lynch playing John Ford. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Like John, like I feel like David. Everyone know, like everyone knows who David Lynch is. Twin Peaks is super popular. Like I know he makes very surrealist films, but like they're still pretty mainstream. Like he, David Lynch yeah. is a mainstream director. Most of his films were made with major studios. Like I know he's a little more sort of like artsy and out there than Spielberg is, but like he's a he's a popular filmmaker. <laughs> you can't well, that- you can't say he's like an art house guy. I think I think with David Lynch, it's like it's you know people obviously you know describe his film his, his films as dreamlike, yeah. but it's more specific than that. It's not just dreamlike; it's like a dream you've had. Mm. Mm. I I like, gotta or, be or, honest, or, or, Lynch's yeah. filmography is a huge blind spot for me. I've only seen Elephant Man. Oh, I mean Elephant Man is ah. is pretty amazing, but yeah, you definitely need to. I am um, I know that yeah, I know that, know that you're not based in London, but I think that I think the Prince Charles Cinema in London are doing a bit of a, a bit of a season of his. Mm. I mean like. He's only done something like only done, and like this isn't like uh, he's only done ten <laughs> films. What a hack! It's like, <laughs> I, I mean, like because I think his last feature was Inland Empire. Mm-hmm. And it? yeah, I think so. Like that was back in like early mid two thousands. Yeah, Inland Empire was after Mulholland Drive. Doesn't Grant. make a lot. Yes, yeah, definitely was. Okay. Like. Yeah, in all fa- you know, in all fairness, he's great. Have you guys have you guys seen um, Lucky, which is the uh, which was the last no. film of Harry Dean Stanton? No, I haven't. Yeah, David Lynch plays a guy in that who's uh, I think he's I think it's a turtle rather than a tortoise. He's got he's got a pet turtle and he's obsessed with it and gets a big monologue about it and it's amazing and it's and it's the last film of Harry Dean Stanton <laughs> and it's really moving, and it's one of those uh, films that you kind of described in terms of like people just talking in rooms. Yeah. But it's that, but it's like Harry Dean Stanton. I think it's Arizona rather than Texas, but it's definitely, yeah, that's definitely worth a big, big shout out to Lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I have also yeah, I seen, I have it. also seen, I've seen The Elephant Man and What Did Jack Do? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the monkey? That's the thing? monkey, yeah, that's him interrogating <laughs> the monkey that he also voices. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, that comes up on my Netflix every now and again. It's like, we recommend you watch this. And I'm like, maybe. <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's worth the watch. It's only like 16 minutes or something. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't think I, I understood it, but I was like, all right, you do you. <laughs> yeah, you do you, David Lynch. Um, I just, <laughs> we've, uh, we've, we've taken a, taken a detour yep. to, uh, David Lynch town, but yep. I, I want to bring it back to the, the ending of, Sugarland. We've mm-hmm. sort of danced around it a little bit. But where this film does lose me a little bit along the way, I just think it's quite could just and this isn't just me not liking longer films. I just think it could be like twenty minutes shorter and much more effective. Yeah. I it just it's uh it's a very and, and it is intentional in doing this, but it's a very ambling pun intended, uh chase movie. Like it is slow paced and 
there's just some stuff in the middle that I feel could be could be tightened up a little bit. But who am I to tell Spielberg how to make a film, honestly? Uh, but the ending does bring things together for me in a, in a way that's quite satisfying and I think is very surprising given the tone of the of the rest of the film as we've, we've spoken about as well and it struck me how similar it is to Jules ending and obviously Jules is very fresh <laughs> with us at the at the moment but we spoke about how somber the ending is of of duel you have this sort of brief moment of triumph like the the truck's gone over the the edge of the cliff he's he's celebrating but then he's you know on his knees in the in the dust kind of like i, I killed a guy i mean he doesn't say that but he's he's sort of reflecting and that's that's very clear like what he is you know he's processing everything that has just happened and we mentioned in in last week's episode about how jaws should have had that ending really because hooper was meant to die so jaws it technically should have ended in that way as well of, of Brody probably feeling you know he's the last the last guy left he's dealing with survivor's guilt he's dealing with you know having just killed the shark he's got to get back to land he's probably feeling quite reflective as well and we get a it's just the ending of this is so so bleak <laughs> because obviously I mean you know a spoiler sorry if you've got this far and we've spoiled <laughs> Sugarland Express for you but Clovis Quavis is, is is shot and it ends up being being fatal. So so he dies and the 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 police sort of close in on them at the end. We get a little epilogue that that adds a, a slightly happier button on to it, but um a moment it's the um oh my gosh, what's the guy called? The police Slide? Tanner. Oh, 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 oh slide. 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 Yes. slide, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, my <laughs> brain fart moment then. Yeah, it, it, the the reflective moment sort of happens with with him. He's he says this line. I wrote it down. Um, he says he took my gun, but he wasn't going to use it. And like that's where it ends. And it's sort of like sunset as well. So it's very similar aesthetically to to Jules' yep. ending. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, that was on my list yeah, up as well. But yeah, but also just that. You know, because they, they the reason why there are so many cops chasing them and this whole thing starts is, you know, they, they refer to him as like a dangerous ombre at some time, don't yeah. they? They're like, Bad ombre. You know, he, he, <laughs> he's like, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna kill this guy. He's got a gun. He's holding to ransom. I don't think that Clovis ever would have, <laughs> would have shot this guy. I really don't think he's, he's got it in him. But that being like the closing line as well is, is Sly kind of reflecting on that, like, he this shouldn't have what i read into it is him being like this shouldn't have happened this shouldn't have gone down this way and it's a little sort of stockholm syndrome i guess yeah. but he does start to sympathize with the couple having spent uh a lot of a lot of time with them gone through a lot of stuff with them but yeah i just i i, I do really i do really like the the ending it does it does work i just think it is quite jarring from what has what has come before it yeah, and I think, I think if you're gonna have Clovis die, you do need that. Mm-hmm. I think you do need to have mm-hmm. a moment where you kind of go, "Here's, you know, your co-protagonist of the film who's just been killed," um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he is killed in a way that he sh- he's shot in the back. He's shot in the back while apparently unarmed, as um. just because in t- like to kind of expedite the ending of the situation. Um, and then you end up with um, Slide kind of standing on the shore. And, you know, 
silhouetted by like that you know the setting sun you got that wonderful red glow yeah. and tanner has just undone his handcuffs and um he's just there and and the credits play over it mm-hmm. and 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 it's weird because in that i mean it the film's focus is usually on the poplins on lugene and clovis apart from the scene i i do really like the scene just to shout out where um that you're at the used uh, the the car lot and you can hear the helicopter mm. overhead and the camera's just panning over and you realize suddenly you can hear you know, someone crying for help and you realize it's um slide in the car and he's been handcuffed and left there mm. and for like a bit for for a little bit in the narrative the main characters have vanished the main characters have just have just left the narrative and you, they get they get her, Lugene's dad on and he's you know you know cursing her and even though you know he's he's meant to be there to kind of um, calm the situation um, but yeah the fact that like Slide's gonna have to live with this uh, Slide as played by played by Michael Sachs who um, like kind of I think as far as I can tell stopped acting I mean like he played Billy Pilgrim in Slaughterhouse-Five in the um, the Kurt Vonnegut adaptation back in the early 70s and he was in like he was in a number of he was in uh, you know a number of films quite quite you know major films uh but stopped acting in the 80s and then ended up like working for like Morgan Stanley and the Solomon Brothers and was like you know a big uh, a big finance muckety muck <laughs> so oh sorry was he's still alive and may, presumably retired at this point and living it up somewhere and yeah mm. Yeah, his last credit's 1984, so he didn't do a bunch of... Well, yeah, like a, 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 a decade a decade right? after this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, he's in the Amityville Horror. He's in Hanover Street. He's in a film called Starflight, The Plane That Couldn't Land, which I know, which I'm looking at, which I'm looking at now, and just makes me think of... I think it was called The Bus That Couldn't Slow yep, Down. Yep, that's exactly, exactly what I was thinking of when you read that. <laughs> uh, is that from the simpsons yeah <laughs> it's such a good joke because okay. he keeps saying the word speed and emphasizing the word speed in the build-up to that title mm. uh, uh what a perfect joke <laughs> we on uh, yeah on the um on the the movie broadcast and the sorry and the and the highlander the um another time we cloud we reference that probably once every half a dozen episodes it just keeps <laughs> it's just the thing that we keep returning to yeah. This is like us and ketchup and catsup. Yeah, that's our, our go to is ketchup. Catsup. Ketchup. 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 <laughs> the bus that couldn't slow down. What does he say? He's like, and if its speed goes below 50 Goes below a certain hour, speed. Yeah. I think it was called the bus that could... <laughs> I. It's it's amazing how much just like The Simpsons is just a common yeah. a common language, in terms mm-hmm. of like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what it is. It says I saw I saw this in a movie about a bus that had to speed around the city, keeping its speed over fifty, and if its speed dropped, it would explode. <laughs> I think it's called the bus that couldn't slow down. <laughs> uh... 
A perfect a joke. Perfect. <laughs> oh joke. man, I, I'm currently looking at the uh, the star flight, the plane that couldn't land. Its cast includes, and this was the year before Nightmare on Elm Street, Robert England. Hey! Oh, and, uh, there we go. And talking to Sarah, who I'm sure can relate to his most famous character at this point, uh, Lee Majors. Mm. Who was, uh, yes, of course, the... Uh, the oh, yeah. Yep. I thought, yes. <laughs> we, can, we, can, yeah. we, we can rebuild her. We can make her stronger. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Six million dollar man. <laughs> or bionic woman, yeah, I guess, yeah. which yeah. would be. Yeah, yeah which, which, which either or. Yeah. My fun, uh, my fun Robert Sad England talks. fact is that uh, my dad looked exactly like Robert England. But the thing is, most people <laughs> don't know who Robert England is. Like, they don't know his name. So people would just be like, you look like Freddy Krueger to my dad. And he would be like, why the fuck is everyone calling me Freddy Krueger? <laughs> My dad um, looks a lot like, and this was fine until a little while ago, not like super, super like, he's going to get mistaken for him regularly, but looks quite a lot like Kevin Spacey. Oh no! Oh no. And that was, that was like super cool up until a point. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a very clear point. Yep. Uh, I get offended by the person I get compared to all the time. I get compared to Josh Gad all the time and I hate it. No. I don't see it. <laughs> I see it. I look exactly like him, but it's just annoying because it went from like <laughs> it went from Seth Rogen and Jack Black, who I like, to Josh Gad, and I was like, oh man, boo. <laughs> I, I there was boo a there was a period where I got Steve Merchant a lot, except I'm not like six foot ten like he is, but yeah, yeah. Steve Merchant. It's like yeah, okay. <laughs> Awkward. I don't think I've yeah. ever been told <laughs> who I look like. I don't look like anyone. That's because you're one we'll of a kind. Ah, oh, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Before this comes there, just checking compliment Sarah's Way podcasting. <laughs> I need it, honestly. It's been a rough couple of months. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you guys have uh, anything anything else on this? I mean, I feel like we've we've covered a fair bit and a lot more than I thought we would cover based on the first time I watched this when I was like, I don't think I've got anything to say. <laughs> You know, uh, there's, there's the bit. Yeah, I've got a couple of little notes, but like Lujin throws the baby cowboy shoe boots out the window. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's like you oh. know, which made me think of like you know the um the famous like Hemingway, baby you know, like baby ba- ba- baby cowboy shoes not worn, yeah. <laughs> never worn. Yeah, for sale. <laughs> and uh. also like the probably the best credit I've ever seen in uh, like a, a, an actor and a character is like Jenny Bowl played by Edward Frog Isabel. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a credit for the pig. <laughs> that could be the pig. I'm not going to lie. Although I don't know why they've given the pig a formal name and a nickname. It's a little weird. A fun, a fun fact about me. I am low-key quite obsessed with uh, animal pages on IMDb. Oh, yeah. So when there's like an animal actor, when it comes up in the credits and it's like uh, this animal playing the, the part of the, the bear or whatever, I'm like, I got to see what his IMDb page is. My current favorite. Did I send this to you, MJ? You it feels like something I would you have did. done. The the seagull. Yes. Um, let me uh, send, or I'll just read it out because it amuses me so much. Um, so the shallows. Uh, I know. Oh, is that from? Well, yes. You have, yeah. You haven't seen the shallows, but uh, Sully. Sully the, the seagull. seagull. Yeah, he's in the lighthouse <laughs> too, right? Yeah. Yeah. He he absolutely is. I don't know if I can find the. Oh, I'm trying to find his. Um, I don't know if it's his IMDb page or uh, letterbox, but he's got a really great like character description 
or like a description of him as an actor. You know, they have, oh, there we go. I've got it. I've got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so he is also in The Lighthouse and he is also the seagull in uh, Barb and Star. Yes. Go to Vista yes, yes. He's the seagull. A great Seagull film. on the tire, can you hear my prayer? He is the, he is the seagull on the tire. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. This is, uh, this is his bio, Sully Seagull from IMDb. Uh, 2016 marked the year that Sully Seagull's extraordinary career started. He landed a substantial supporting role in The Shallows, co-starring with Blake Lively uh, in what was to become one of the most successful summer movies of the year. (laughs) He received rave reviews for his multi-layered portrayal of a handicapped girl bravely trying to escape a a scary shark's appetite. Vulture.com called him the breakout movie star of the summer. (laughs) Uh... Uh, after a th- I'll skip a bit because it's, it's just a lot of people saying how great he is uh, after a three year hiatus from the spotlight Solly was persuaded to take over a more demanding character role in Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe he agreed to appear uncredited in this acc- he agreed to appear uncredited in this acclaimed fantasy drama in his spare time he enjoys flying and fishing uh, by the way did you know yes. that his nickname is Steven he is credited on Google as yes. Sully Steven, Steven Seagull, Seagull. That's uh, not a spoiler for the shallows, but that's what she calls him in um, oh, in the shallows. Okay. So maybe that's maybe that's yeah. where that came from. But yeah, so I like the I shallows. I like to find out if I do too. I think the shallows has amazing use of negative space. I've heard it's good. It has a terrible ending, but other than that, <laughs> pretty good movie. Uh, it's no Jaws, obviously. Yes. Well, I mean, we've covered animal IMDb pages and uh, and that, but I will be investigating whether the pig in uh sugarland has an imdb page whether he did any other any other roles uh, i would like to know that definitely um, was not apparently the... intended for her to be like he peed <laughs> right like that just happened yeah right? yeah it was i was just gonna say exactly that that um yeah the the that was not scripted yeah. <laughs> the pig peed on her so the bit when goldie horn is like he's peeing that's real <laughs> Oh, which is very funny. What a pro. Just uh, <laughs> getting through. It's a, it's a great moment, though. I think that's something that the character would do as well, because she's quite hysterical in that in that mm. scene as well. So, um, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> anything else? Or have uh, we covered everything we can cover with Sugarland? Yeah, I, I got nothing else. Okay. I think that's Maybe let's just do our... Yeah. Yeah, maybe just a, a kind of real quick, uh, we don't do ratings here, but a, a quick summary of sort of where, what you think about this film, and yeah, you can give it a rating if you want to, but Rob, do you want to do you wanna go first? Yeah, um, it's a four-star movie. Mm-hmm. I like, I really like it. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. It's an impressive bit of filmmaking, and... Yeah, I'm, it, and it's weirder, especially towards the end, than I than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I got on with that. I'm I'm really glad to have had a chance to chat about it. Yeah, nice. Uh, it's alright. Yeah. It's interesting, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah. it's it's also interesting because it's like three people in a vehicle in pursuit or being pursued, um, which mm-hmm. you know he just mm-hmm. does again in the next movie uh in the back half of the next movie um yeah i think it's an interesting blip on his his rate and uh, to call it a blip sounds dismissive but it's uh 
it's you know it's it's really interesting for the the the, the Spielberg history of it all. Um, it's really well acted. It's it's well performed. It's well shot. Um, score's interesting. Like it's unlike any other John Williams score. I feel like. Um, Mm-hmm. but it's a little too long and a little too slow for me. It's, I don't know, it's, it feels a bit meandering for what it is, um, but it has that sort of um, really interesting, like, shaggy uh, uh, first film vibe to it. Like, uh, uh, what's it called? What's Scorsese's first movie? Who's That Knocking at My Door has oh, a yeah, similar yeah. shag to it. And not, not that's not a pun because <laughs> it's a movie about sex. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, though there is, I guess, in that film. But it's, it's similarly, like, kind of like, I don't really know what this is, but I can see the filmmaker this beat turns into. Um... In, yeah. in this film. But it's really interesting that it's sort of like this regression for Spielberg because you watch Duel and it comes out the gate and you're like, oh, it's a Spielberg movie. Like, this is very obviously a Spielberg movie. And then you watch this and you're like, oh, this feels a little bit more rough around the edges than his last widely available film. I can't speak to something evil since I haven't seen it yet. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's not not worth watching, especially if you're like into Spielberg, I would say. Yeah, I think for me it's, and I don't like to do this sort of like looking at what becomes before and after, you look at this film in in the middle of it and I would certainly say that if we're looking at Dual Sugarland and Jaws then it is the (laughs) the weakest of those three and, and by quite some way but that doesn't mean that it's not a good film. I'm kind of in the middle of it as as well. I, I definitely enjoyed it more the second time just because I think I got things out of it that I didn't get the first time and I think there is a merit to watching something more than once i don't like to just watch a film once and be like that sucks i never want to watch it again unless it is really really that bad but if i'm just kind of ambivalent about something i will always want to give it another shot so i just i always watch it twice when i'm preparing for (laughs) for a podcast but it's it grew on me the second time around i haven't changed my rating on it i'm at a 3.5 i think um i did consider putting it up to putting it up to a four but i I do have problems with the the length and I think the way that the story just kind of ambles a little bit in in the middle and having just come off the back of 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 Duel which is so lean and so pacey and and so concise and efficient this just felt a bit yeah a bit saggy in in, in places yeah. that uh, that and you don't get that in in Jaws either I think it's yeah, I don't like to you know, criticize <laughs> criticize too much, but I think that there is there is good and bad about this film, and it's certainly indicative of what is to come next. And I think it's always fascinating to look back at the early films of a director like Spielberg and sort of see, okay, based on this, I can see what happens next, and you can see that clear pathway. And I think you can very, very, very clearly see that from duel to sugarland to to jaws and and beyond you can see what is coming um but yeah it doesn't always not everything works along the way it's also interesting that it's not one of those Um, roger corman movies the way a lot of these guys went first like out the gate mm, yeah yeah i mean the the progression of of duel to jaws makes a makes a lot more sense Mm -hmm. like if you put this first and then duel and then jaws like that 
feels like more of more of a progression but that's just that's not the way it it played out so we've got to look at them in the in the order that they came but yeah you can watch this and go i can see where the director who made jaws comes from coming out of this even though they are completely different films um yeah i think that's i think that's about it we've got some uh handful of tweets from the listeners you can tell this isn't a uh as widely seen spielberg uh even just based on the sort of number of responses we got we always put out a tweet and 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 get you guys thoughts on the film and i can imagine us being absolutely inundated when we get to like raiders and et and stuff like that those those old things those old things that people may or may not have heard of but uh we do have a couple so so we'll read those out um at sam clark 88 uh he called it an accomplished theatrical debut but a minor work from spielberg and then at Hollyfield Owen, he said, uh, a great early Spielberg movie, really shows his skills as a filmmaker. Is it one of his best? No. But Spielberg's Not Brilliant is someone else's film of their career. That's very a true. very... I see that a lot <laughs> from people sort of saying, like, a Spielberg off day is a lot of directors, you know, the film they could only dream of yeah. making. So. <laughs> I would say maybe with the exception of Ready um, Player One, I would agree. Blah, gross. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's going to be a fun episode. Uh, and Tim Hopkins uh, emailed, old fashioned, not a reply to a tweet. Mm-hmm. So you can also email us if you if you want to get in touch uh, with uh, yeah your thoughts on on the films that we're covering. Uh, he said I wasn't a big fan of Sugarland Express. I felt like it couldn't decide whether it was a comedy or a drama, and it fell unsatis- unsatisfyingly between mm-hmm. both. Uh, though I chuckled inwardly at the sneaky dolly zooms Spielberg used towards the end of the film. Um, I see that. I feel like at times it really does nail that that balance of comedy and drama, and at times it it doesn't. But it it's a direct a director kind of finding their feet still, even though it is very accomplished and very well made film. It's still sort of figuring out those things, isn't it, with the story that you're telling and the way that you're telling it. That I mean, he nails it in Jaws, so <laughs> he's doing okay. Uh, yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's it. MJ, do you want to wrap? Yeah, up? Uh, Rob, thank you for for being here and and uh, choosing to to go on this uh, journey through Texas with us. Um, no, thank you. It's been it's been a blast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Oh yeah, sure. Um, uh, yeah, if you're looking for me online, you can follow me on Twitter at Robert M. Wallace. Um, I'm also a co-host of two separate podcasts, uh, one of which is a general movie podcast that I do with a friend of mine called uh, Rob Daniel, and that's uh, the Movie Robcast, which you can follow on Twitter at Movie Robcast. You can listen to that wherever you listen to this. We also have Another Time McLeod, a film that uh, dives into the cult classic, 1986 cult classic Highlander scene by scene. Um, and uh, MJ has been uh, has been guest with us a couple of times. Uh, been a fantastic guest. And yeah, you can follow that on Twitter at McLeod Time. And again, yeah, listen to that wherever you listen to this. Um, so yeah, if you're a Highlander fan, I mean that will probably help if you're listening to that. But yeah, it'll be um, <laughs> yeah, please check them out. Yep, rapidly approaching the end of Highlander, right? Rapidly approaching, literally uh, fewer than half a dozen episodes left. Ugh. Yeah. Dang. Yep. Congratulations, guys. That's awesome. Uh, like, <laughs> I remember that yeah, feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. Like, I think you're the only guests. You, you, and you and Rob are the only guests who uh, understand what it's like to hit the end of the that that minute, like, or to have it looming in uh, in such like close proximity to you. It's it's a weird feeling. Like, I 
I can't quite put my finger on it still. Like, it's it's unlike anything else I've ever felt. It's very strange. I mean, there's definitely... I mean, have you guys have you guys thought about, like, doing a book on Jaws? Is that... <laughs> Uh, no, I think maybe. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. We both write for sure. Um, you do it a lot more than I do, Sarah. But uh... I mean, like, I mean, that's one thing. Like, we're thinking about, you know, if we go through, or at least like a series of essays, because you know, you know, crediting every, all the guests that have come on. There's a lot of stuff there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of material there mm-hmm. that people aren't going to listen to necessarily listen to sixty episodes of a podcast to get. But yes, yeah, just condensing it down to. I mean, yeah, I mean, Highlander, you know, there are, there are so many readings. I mean, I mean, just immediately off the top of my head, there's the queer theory reading mm-hmm. that doesn't get a massive outing online. Oh, sorry, a massive outing online is a... Is a, is a, is a <laughs> Wait! Uh, it doesn't... Yay! Um, <laughs> but there are, there are so many ways to interpret it that, yeah, mm-hmm. we think there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of stuff to work with there. Um, so, yeah, um, and we're going to do future episodes on the sequels and hopefully get some of the cast on board. I mean, it'd be great. There's so many people nice. would love to talk to, but it's been, and I'm sure in the way that you, the same way that you found with Jaws, people who've like moved on, even and um, yeah. But it's it's been incredibly rewarding. By the time we're done, we'll have been doing it just over a year, mm. um, and I'm sure. Yeah, you guys also had you know thinking back, you know, to the mad the mad day when you went, yeah, just Jaws, like minute by minute, scene by scene, <laughs> like that's that's a thing, right? That's a thing to devote vast vast swathes of you know our future too and uh just yeah personally just 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 talking about your podcast in general i'm really glad you did because it's been such it's been such a consistent just yeah highlight of my week oh thanks yeah thanks so much um by the way i very much had to resist the uh the urge to interrupt you by saying hamilton wrote the other 51 when you suggested a series of essays (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i've never thought about writing a book yeah the idea may have been planted yeah that's <laughs> i don't hate that idea at all which is wild watch this space yeah. Uh. um yeah sarah do you have anything to plug maybe some non-book writing <laughs> i've been doing some other <laughs> i've been doing some other yeah. writing uh finally feel back in the swing of things a little bit um i recently finished the uh 98 yes that is 98 best drama films of all time people in rooms uh, talking quite the undertaking for looper, for looper uh apparently i just like doing really insanely long lists i've been done like 98 best thrillers 90 something best 70s films yeah uh, glutton for punishment when it comes to writing a long list but that was uh, a lot of research a lot of time <laughs> effort went into that so appreciate anyone checking that out and I've also I've, I've done a couple of bits for a, a, a new outlet that I'm writing oh. for it's very exciting uh, they're called what to watch uh, they cover a lot of tv stuff mostly uh, I wrote something on the best true crime documentaries on Netflix so I had a very fun week watching a lot of murder documentaries did i talk uh, shit about I'm true crime when working... you brought it up earlier <laughs> yeah no i i i love oh, okay. it don't worry uh, I and really I, don't, yeah but... currently oh. <laughs> what i did realize uh side note watching a lot of netflix true crime documentaries back to back uh they're all the same yeah that's what i yeah. realized uh <laughs> some of them good some of them eh, not so much um 
but yes, also currently working on the best anime series on Netflix. Mm. So I'll be uh, a lot of them I've seen already. A lot of them I will be diving into uh, to do my research for that. Um, I will tweet out all the links to that. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll find that that stuff easily. I should put together a link tree at some point or like a portfolio thing where all my writing is. Yep. But if you follow me on Twitter, you'll you'll find it somewhere. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, Real Perspective is my other podcast. It's R-E-E-L, Perspective. Uh, once again, a current release, uh, movies and TV shows. Um, uh, yeah, I think the most recent episode we did at this point was about the rehearsal. Actually, I know it's, uh, the most recent episode. You can listen to it today if you're listening to it the same day this came out. Um, yeah, which is that Nathan Fielder show that was on HBO Max and is the most wild thing I think I've ever seen on television. Um, we also did episodes on Nope. We have an episode about Everything Everywhere All at Once coming up. We have an episode about Cobra Kai Season 5 coming up. Um, we're going to do an episode on RRR, which I'm really excited about. Uh, yeah, um, so that's that's there. Uh, in September, you can hear me on Gag Me With a Chainsaw, which is a... Uh, podcast all about 1980s slasher films and i was on there to talk about psycho 2 which uh like i said last time you should watch it's great um and yeah i think that's oh i was on the bond we share uh to talk about casino royale which was great revisiting that um rob is my episode of another time mcleod out by the time people are hearing this which will be next friday the um uh, let me check i don't think it will just okay. yet okay well i have one i have one last appearance in the back half of uh another time mcleod um which features a very funny edit <laughs> yes it certainly will yep um yeah uh but for the show you can follow us on twitter and finstagram at jaws for a minute um, you can email us at jawsforaminute at gmail.com if you want to follow us individually, which is the best place to get all our links and updates and guest spots and writing and all that. Uh, you can follow Sarah at Sarah Buttery, S-A-R-A-H-B-U-D-D-E-R-Y. You can follow me at MJSmith891. Um, on all our social medias, you'll find the link tree for um, the show, and that has links for you to buy merchandise through TeePublic or Redbubble. Uh, you can buy our theme song through Bandcamp. Um, you can find a link to our coffee page if you want to just send us some money. You'll be entered into a drawing to win a t-shirt if you're a first-time donor. Previous donors, you all will uh, uh, are in the drawing unless you've won uh, previously. Um, and if you want to support the show at no extra cost to you, you can always rate, review, subscribe, and share uh, the podcast with folks who you think will like it. Um, it goes a long way to help us get our name out there. You know, we don't have any money behind us uh, or any, like, we're not part of a network. We're not part of a, you know, some sort of podcast conglomerate. We, It's just me and Sarah doing all the work. So if you guys want to help <laughs> us out with, uh, with retweets and sharing, uh, it's greatly appreciated. And we appreciate you guys for listening and sticking with us post-Jaws through uh, this sort of journey through Spielberg's other films. Um, but... It's always going to come back to Jaws, and because of that, it's Jaws o'clock somewhere.